Hi, this is Lucy Larson, Manager of Museum Experience and Interpretation at the San Jose Museum of Art. SJMA is proud to present the series Artist of the Week, featuring artists from our permanent collection. The interviews you hear were conducted in December 2006. We hope you enjoy the series and subscribe to SJMA's podcast. Jack Zajac is our second featured Artist of the Week. Zajac splits his time between Santa Cruz and Rome. We were fortunate enough to interview Zajac in his home and get a glimpse of his studio. Joanne Northrup, senior curator at the San Jose Museum of Art, contributed her expertise to this podcast as well. I think that living in California, as he does, Jack Zajac lives in Santa Cruz, and his house overlooks the ocean. And so the natural beauty of California has seeped into his work. But he initially studied painting at Scripps College. He studied with Harry McPhee, Philip Dyke, and Jean Goodwin Ames. And then he got a painting fellowship, and he went to the Academy of Rome back in 1955. And He was in Rome. He was taking it all in. He was so excited by the ancient art that was all around him. And he wanted to get out. He didn't want to just stay in the studio. And so that's sort of when he began his work as a sculptor, because he didn't want to be cooped up in the studio. The Rome Prize, the Prix de Rome, took us to Rome, first off, in painting, which I imagined myself at that time. Sculpture was something that happened in in Rome. Rather... Stealthily. I I thought at one point that I was a painter who occasionally made sculpture. The painting receded, and the sculpture took the majority of my efforts and labor. The sculpture came about in the most prosaic uh, ways. You know, the the American Academy is in an extraordinarily beautiful, big studios. At times, it would invite artists of great prominence. Just before I got there. Carl Millis, the, the Swedish sculptor, had had the studio that I then occupied and left a bunch of clay there and some very interesting armatures. I, I remember being on a train coming back from Florence with a, with a friend. And, note, and, and at that time, the meadows and surroundings of cities were very bucolic. There were sheep and goats and things all around. And the idea of making a, a, a standing lamb was just one of those things. They interviewed uh, that great outsider artist that did the, the Watchtower. Some historian asked him what got him to do that. And they, he, they said, was it your influence as a young man? You saw Venice? and this. He said, no, one day I decided I'm going to do something. And I did it. You know, this is kind of the way this, this lamb started. Jack Zajac has been working on the Falling Water series since the 1960s. Um, He said he was, quote, fascinated by poetic caprice of water and the simple and enduring acts of nature, end quote. I think that the evolution of the water imagery provides a connecting link between his seemingly diverse kinds of sculpture. Some of them are very wide waves that come from a single point. Some of them are, are thinner cascades of water like this one. If you go into a studio in Santa Cruz, you see numerous examples of falling water, all in different finishes, maybe a brown, bronze, silver finishes, 
different sizes. It's just gorgeous. I saw some water in Connecticut uh, in, a, in a frozen river that looked very interesting because the shapes seemed to have invented themselves within a very interesting range. I came back to the studio and made a panel of what was a convergence of currents, the way a surface of water may react to a stronger flow coming in. It was something a Zen master of a very severe cult might have loved, but it just didn't have enough, you know. It, it, so I put those aside and, uh, and thought about the falling water piece. And, and uh, I have never seen water depicted that way. I'm proud to say, is, is an original idea. So I started on those in this industrial park in Ontario and thought I would do uh, one and sort of, you know, leave it at that. But one led to two and two to four and four to eight, and then there were 20 over a period of two years that came into clay, uh, or were cast into bronze, I mean, into plaster and then taken to the dump. So it was two years before uh, anyone, anything that seemed right, because it had to be convincing of, uh, of falling water. And that's a paradox, you know, in a stationary object. And then they started coming. I made 10 in, in the next year and a half or two in Italy and uh, kept going with them. When I did the started the water pieces. I, I, I started them with such confidence. And what I was trying to do was, was apply or use the knowledge acquired in other things for this. In other words, this thing wouldn't abide that. It, it had to be, I had to dismiss everything I knew in, in sculptural surface and, and dynamics. The skulls and horns are quiet. There's a silence, I hope, before words in them. These things uh, had to have the honesty. The only way they could be successful is that the registry of those forms were so narrowly calibrated. You know, when I made them, there's this one gesture like this. But then in the, in the refinements, there's a little bit that comes here and a little bit taken off here. And, and they're, they're minuscule, they're, they're, they're millimeters. And the reason for that is that they had to have a sense of repose. And the only way they could have a sense of repose was somehow within these dynamics, sometimes zigzags, the balance would be convincing. 